Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, April is Financial Literacy Month. The pandemic has been challenging for everyone, but a new survey highlights the challenges of single mothers who are making hard compromises between paying bills and even putting food on the table. Also this morning, could you make extra money renting out your home or spare room on Airbnb? As travel season approaches, a new tool can help determine what your unused space may be worth. And before the pandemic, living one's life in a technology bubble might have sounded like an odd idea. Now, some of the things that we've embraced over the past year are probably here to stay. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. Today is Army Day. If you knew that or not, today is Army Day. And it was originally conceived as a way to sort of overshadow or counter uh, counter program the celebration of International Workers Day among communists in communist nations. This International Workers Day, which is really just a front for you know this big show of military strength they do. It's uh, the first of May, and uh, originally Army Day in this country was meant to counterbalance that on May 1st, but the date was later changed to April 6th, the reason that is the anniversary of the United States entry into World War One. So, happy Army Day to you today. It is Drowsy Drivers Awareness Day. It is Jump Over Things Day. <laughs> jump. So, jump over random things today. And if people look at you funny in the office when you're doing that, and you can tell them it is Jump Over Things Day. I heard it on the radio. It is National Caramel Popcorn Day, National Siamese Cat Day, National Student Athlete Day. Today is Plan Your Epitaph Day, and one of the more cheery <laughs> celebrations of the day, Plan Your Epitaph Day, World Table Tennis Day, and it is New Beer's Eve. New Beer's Eve. Have you ever noticed how many observances, daily celebrations we have that are centered around beer? But New Beer's Eve is, yeah, it's a catchy name, but there's a reason why today is New Beer's Eve. It is the day before the anniversary of when beer began being sold legally again at the end of Prohibition. And the story goes, and obviously this is well before my time, the story goes that people lined up outside of breweries and taverns and bars and pubs. They lined up and waited until midnight when they were able to go inside and order a beer because Prohibition had ended. It's sort of like uh, Thanksgiving Day at Best Buy. That's how people line up for hours. <laughs> they could go in and get a beer. New Beer's Eve today. How about that? So this is a uh, big buzzworthy story here this morning. A new law signed by Utah Governor Spencer Cox requires biological fathers to pay half of a woman's out-of-pocket pregnancy costs. And it would apply to a pregnant woman's uh, health insurance premiums and any other pregnancy-related medical cost. 
biological father would have to foot the bill for 50%. The logic being, of course, that takes two to tango. And so it's only fair that the father pony up. The legislation, believed to be the first of its kind in the country, was sponsored by Republican State Representative Brady Brammer, who explained it as a way to help achieve pro-life goals, saying we want to help people and actually be pro-life in how we do it, as opposed to just being anti-abortion. And again, there's the fairness issue. Now, the measure had wide wide support in the state's Republican-controlled legislature, and the governor of Utah is a Republican who signed the bill. It was also backed by anti-abortion activists. However, there is some pushback on this. Critics contend it will not help women who are most vulnerable and could, they claim, make abusive situations even more dangerous. Interesting. Spokesperson for Planned Parenthood, Katrina Barker, said that there are better ways to help women, like expanding Medicaid, providing parental leave, and giving access to contraception. So, the debate continues, but it is law now, I guess, in uh, in the state of Utah. It would be interesting to see how that goes over if it's successful, and I would think that if they have success with that, you probably will see that in other states as well be interesting certainly a buzzworthy story this morning it seems all of our pent-up time indoors over the past year could lead to some intense shopping very soon the coupon and promotional code website rakuten says that the advent of revenge shopping (laughs) is gonna resemble they say what we saw In the Roaring Twenties, a surging economy that will drive people to shop for more of the finer things that many felt that they were deprived of during the pandemic. And because so many people saved up so much money because they didn't have anything to spend it on over the past year, people now, they say, actually have the means to treat themselves. So... Revenge shopping is the thing. I said back at the very beginning of this, we can go back and get the get the recordings and, and play it back. I said back at the beginning of this that watch out, the longer this goes, the more of an economic boom we could likely see when it's all over. And I compare Rakuten there comparing it to the Roaring Twenties. Uh I was likening it to the big economic boom and the expansion of the middle class and all of that following World War II, when there was so much pent-up demand, everything was rationed, people you know, were all in on war production, and then the GIs came home and they bought homes and they bought cars and they bought TVs and they bought everything that they could get their hands on, and people just were buying up everything. And he had this huge economic expansion, and I, I said, the longest, the longer we go depriving ourselves, it's just human nature. It's going to take off. It, it appears that I may have been right on this, which remains to be seen. But I love the way Rakuten puts it in the terminology of revenge shopping. <laughs> Speaking of COVID-19, spring is upon us. And with uh, the coronavirus still a concern, despite increasing rates of vaccination, 
And, of course, the vaccination uh, itself can cause some mild side effects. And we're coming into spring. You get into allergy season and uh, so on. So how do you know if you're feeling a little under the weather, whether it is the virus, the post-vaccine side effects, seasonal allergies, or exactly what it is that ails you? Dr. Fred Lewis is an emergency department physician at Northwell Health Long Island Jewish Medical Center. It says that allergies and fever are big clues. Allergies do not usually cause a fever, but they do make you feel itchy. The uh, CDC uh, also notes that while both allergies and the coronavirus can cause coughing, shortness of breath, fatigue, headache, sore throat, congestion, or a runny nose, symptoms such as fever and chills, muscle and body aches, uh, loss of taste or smell, obviously we know that's the uh, virus, Uh, nausea, vomiting, and or diarrhea more common with a COVID-19 infection. As far as post-vaccination side effects go, Dr. John Wythe, WebMD, says the side effects typically are a pain in the arm, fatigue, sometimes headache. I had, when I got my uh, vaccine last week, I had pain in the ejection site, which is pretty common. But my, it was a kind of a, a muscle not stiffness, but every every muscle felt, <laughs> my body felt tired. You know, it was just, yeah, just muscle aches, uh, general body aches. But uh, anyway, uh, fatigue, definitely had that for a couple of days, about 24 hours after, after my vaccine. Um, it is all about timing, they say. They, the side effects, typically four hours or so after vaccination will resolve within 24 to 36 hours, and that's what happened with me, so... He says uh, both allergies and coronavirus do not resolve that quickly. Overall, if you are unsure if you have been infected, the CDC recommends getting tested and following guidelines to avoid spreading the disease, etc., etc., etc. Kind of interesting, the uh, differences between allergies, the virus, and the post-vaccine side effects. Because of the timing of all of this. Summertime right around the corner, and that means summer camp. For many American children, Dr. Sarah Bodie, pediatrician, uh, helped write the American Academy of Pediatrics summer camp guidance for this year. She says, obviously, this is a social and emotional enriching learning opportunity for kids, and it is critical. We don't want to deny kids the opportunity to go to summer camp. But they say, if you are concerned, uh, keep in mind that overnight camps are probably uh, more uh, probably safer. Your kid is less likely to contract COVID-19 at an overnight camp than a day camp. The reason why, because many overnight camps will require a test before kids show up as a part of the required health checklist. Some camps might also ask families to shelter in place with their kids a week to 10 days beforehand to limit the kid's potential exposure. Day camps, on the other hand, may also require testing But screening will be trickier because kids will go home every day. So, if you're concerned about camp this summer, they say an overnight camp might actually be the preferable option. Keep in mind. There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories. Get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for sunny skies today with a high of 79, partly cloudy tonight with a low of 57. 
The number of active COVID cases in Hancock County went up in the last data released from Hancock Public Health. The agency is reporting 138 active cases in the county, an increase of 24 from about a week and a half ago. Active cases are defined as cases currently under quarantine or in isolation. Ohio's COVID-19 vaccination dashboard shows that more than 3.7 million Ohioans have received at least one dose of the vaccine so far, which is around 32% of the state's population. In a related story, Governor DeWine has announced revised health orders that he says will help protect Ohioans while simplifying guidance for upcoming events such as proms, weddings, and fairs. Masks will still be required in public indoor spaces and in outdoor spaces where adequate social distancing is not possible. The orders will still limit gatherings to groups of 10, but individual 10-person pods can participate in a larger activity, such as dining at a restaurant or attending a sporting event with other pods, as long as social distancing can be observed. The new orders will go into effect immediately. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. This is Distracted Driving Awareness Month, and the Finley Police Department is reminding drivers to put down their phones and pay attention. A lot of the accidents that we deal with here in Finley are the direct result of uh, just inattention. You know, out on uh, Tiffin Avenue, a lot of cars in traffic. You get one car that's slowing to stop to turn into a driveway. person behind them doesn't see it runs into the back of them. Crime prevention officer Brian White says they see far too many assured clear distance ahead crashes that could be avoided if drivers were paying attention. Get more on our website. This month is Financial Literacy Month. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Finley says Financial Literacy Month is a great time to acknowledge the innovative ways educators and other professionals are equipping Ohioans with the skills and knowledge to secure a healthy financial future. Last year, Sprague stopped by Arlington High School to present the school with a Compass Award for exemplary work with financial literacy programs. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, you know, we've talked about the various aspects of the way many families' finances have been upended in the past year. This is another aspect of that that may be impacting you or someone you know. Raising a newborn can be stressful at any time, but especially when added to the emotional and financial toll of the pandemic, it can be downright overwhelming. Bola Sekunbi is a certified financial education instructor, best-selling author, and founder of the Clever Girl Finance financial education platform. And Bola, you have information on a recent survey of parents with infants uh, on the financial stressors and the difficult decisions that many families are having to make as a result of this ongoing pandemic. What jumped out at you in these results? Yes, so the survey was incredibly insightful, and it just really showcased that one year later, new moms with infants and toddlers are still struggling to balance the demands of childcare with work, financial, and mental stress. And StoreBrand Infant Formula conducted the survey to really understand how this pandemic is affecting moms. And 68% of moms agreed that 2020 was the most stressful year they ever had due to exhaustion, depression, anxiety, and isolation. But the most devastating findings of this survey revealed that nearly two in three moms had to cut costs just to feed their families, and 30% said that they had to skip their own meals so their children could eat. 
Hmm. Man, I tell you, you know, I remember back when, you know, we were new parents and, you know, obviously you want to make whatever sacrifices are necessary for your kids, but there are always curveballs that come along that you don't expect. I would imagine uh, even more so uh, with all of the other uncertainty piled uh, on top of that. So what are some of the resources that parents can turn to uh, for help in managing those curveballs, those unexpected hardships? Yes, so there are a variety of resources that are available to help families, and these include food pantries and um, federal assistance programs such as WIC and SNAP, but this still may not be enough since these benefits tend to run out before the end of the month, and this can lead to unsafe practices, especially for infants. In fact, more than half of the mothers that were surveyed said that they used more water than required by the instructions to make their infant formula last longer. And this overdilution of formula can be very dangerous because it dilutes critical nutrients at a time of rapid growth in infants. And so it's so important that moms know that there are other options that can help them save money so that they don't take this kind of risk. Such as? So basically, you know, whether you're spending your own money or you're using stop, not dollars, you want to look for ways to save. You can save money by buying your store brand infant formula that provides complete nutrition. Um, it meets the same FDA quality and safety standards as, as the big expensive brands, but it costs up to, it saves you 50%. And um, this brand was recently named as a best baby formula by the New York Times. Um, another way that moms can save money is by really focusing focusing on a budget and planning out what bills are most important for them to save. So there are ways if moms are able to create a plan to save more money and weather through this uncertainty. And that's uh, where your expertise comes in when it comes to taking a critical look at those finances, maybe reorganizing things uh, a little bit. What is the first step that you would recommend uh, to uh, doing that and, and getting back on a solid footing? Yeah, so we talk about budgeting, but before you start the budget, you really want to look at your finances and really get clear on what your pressing bills are and prioritizing those bills accordingly. So those are your living expenses, your debt payments, your other financial obligations. And then, like I mentioned, you want to create a budget. This is also a good time to start thinking about multiple streams of income. Can you find a part-time job? Are you able to find a better paying job? Are there things in your home that you have and no longer need that you can sell? And you also want to make sure that you communicate to your lenders and your service providers if you are facing financial difficulty because so many of them have plans and programs in place as a result of this pandemic that can help you weather through this uncertainty. You know, that is such a good point, and we've talked about it uh, before, but it bears repeating. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help, especially these days. Number one, if you're a new parent, uh, you know, it always brings about the unexpected, and we've all been there, so uh, no uh, shame in that. And then, of course, as we said, with all of this extra uncertainty added on top top of that um it's it's certainly no shame in in you know reaching out for help and saying hey i'm struggling i think everybody understands in these critical times uh, how difficult it can be yes there is absolutely no shame in getting the support and help you need especially when it comes to feeding your family right exactly um we mentioned your uh financial uh, education platform clever girl finance what is the the biggest question that you get uh, from people just, you know, in general? And I, I'm curious, has that changed somewhat over the course of the past year, given everything that we've been through? 
great question. So I get asked a lot, where do I get started? How do I get started? Mm-hmm. And I tell people to take a step back. Look at the big picture of your finances so you really know where you stand right now, and then you can create a plan. Um, as a result of the pandemic, I've definitely seen a lot more people just get really focused on cutting costs and saving more because of all the uncertainty. Everybody's kind of tuned into just, you know, minimizing their expenses and putting more money aside if they're able to. You know, that's a good habit to get into uh, as well. Hopefully, maybe the silver lining of all of this is if we can sort of get into the habit of constantly doing that, even after the pandemic crisis subsides a bit, uh, that's going to actually going to make us much better off moving forward long after all of this is over. You are absolutely correct, right? Because people can face uncertainty in their lives, pandemic or not. You could lose a job. There could be family issues. Sure. There are many reasons why it is a good idea to have your finances in order. I, I think back to uh, years ago, our uh, grandparents and great-grandparents lived through the Great Depression. Uh, that really created a, a lifelong mindset of how they approached money and spending and saving and and all of that. I think this may be this generation's uh, opportunity to uh, instill some of those habits. So something to think about with respect to that. Again, uh, Clever Girl Finance uh, founder uh, Bola Sukumbi uh, with us uh, this morning. And Bola, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times over the past month or two the fact that one way some people are finding new sources of revenue to perhaps make up for some of what they've lost over the past year is by renting their unused spaces on sites like Airbnb. And especially as we come into travel season, people are turning to these platforms as a way to give themselves a little isolation amid the pandemic. Now, if this is something that you have thought about, you are probably wondering, how do I know how much I could make doing this? Well, as it happens, we have Airbnb's Christopher Nolte on the line with us once again this morning. And Christopher, I know that there's a, a whole process to becoming an Airbnb host, and I want to get to some of that to kind of lay it lay it out for those who may be interested in. But I'm curious, is that the place most people start with that, that question of just how much would my home or my space be worth uh, on the platform? Is that maybe the, the most common question you get? Yes, and, and I think the, you're exactly right. It's the question that people always start with. Okay, so I, I'm ready to rent out my house. How much can I make doing this for a week, for a month, you know, for a couple months? Uh, and I think that a lot of people are really surprised by how much they can make, uh, especially because, you know, we're at this really interesting moment. I mean, as you as you pointed out, we're sort of just on the precipice of the travel season. Uh, you know, we're at a moment when the CDC has issued new guidance that vaccinated Americans, you know, can travel safely. You know, we've seen in poll after poll that there's just this pent-up demand for travel right. as people are yearning to get out of the house and connect, you know, after being so isolated. And so it's really sort of this perfect moment also because there's so many folks out there saying, geez, like the last 12 months have been pretty tough. I could benefit from making some extra money. And so we developed uh, a new tool that we're calling What's My Place Worth? You head over to Airbnb.com slash host. You tell us a little bit about your space, where you're located. You know, how many bedrooms, how many people you could accommodate. And we can tell you, you know, exactly how much money you could make sharing your home on Airbnb to really give you a sense of the opportunity that's possible uh, by renting out your home. Now, what are some of the factors that go into determining that value? Yeah, I mean, so, of course, you know, it it all starts with where do you live? Uh, And, uh, you know, how many people can you, you know, can you accommodate? How many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, uh, you know, what sort of amenities do you have? But 
what we've really seen, and I think what's just been so interesting is that over the last year, travel has just changed so much. You know, people who were otherwise getting on a plane and flying across the country around the world are saying, you know what, I want to get in my car and drive two or three hours away. And they're exploring new communities. They're exploring smaller cities. They're exploring rural communities. And so as a result, the opportunity to host has really sort of spread out quite a bit. Yeah, that- uh, you know, there's always been a place that, that people have, uh, you know, or, you know, visited. there's places uh, like, you know, Toledo and Cleveland, uh, you know, that people have really, you know, always wanted to visit. But as a result of, of the way travels change, we're seeing that communities, you know, outside of those cities are also benefiting. And I, I took a look at the, uh, at the tool this morning for Toledo. And it, you know, it turns out that, you know, you could earn about $1,400 a month renting out your place on Airbnb in, in Toledo. And so we've really tried to help people understand what is the opportunity that's available. And of course, then what do I have to do to rent out my place? So how do I get ready? Uh, you know, to welcome a guest for the yeah, first time. You make a good point that, I mean, a lot of times we think of location obviously is going to be one of the primary factors, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if you're not in uh, some resort community that the opportunity uh, doesn't exist, obviously, with the example that you were uh, citing there. Uh, does this uh, does this apply? You're talking about the tool that you have that will help you estimate what your space may be worth. Does that work? for those who are looking to uh, rent out an entire place or maybe just uh, renting a room to someone? Yep, it, it works in, in, in both cases, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we, we've always been a, a platform that has offered so many different options, you know, from a, a tree houses in California to right. castles in the south of France to, you know, loft apartments, uh, you know, in old warehouses in Toledo, you know, we sort of have it all. And uh, we want to make, you know, make sure that the, the price sort of reflects exactly the space you have so what are in general what are some of the things that people will want to look at uh, in terms of generating top dollar for their spaces are there certain uh, amenities are there certain things that make for a good rental over one that's just kind of mediocre yeah you know i think more than anything people love those personal touches you know a comfortable couch a, a bookcase that's full of you know, great books, you know, something that makes the home unique. And, and one of the things that we know is very special about our community and about our platform is that our hosts are really what make Airbnb unique and different and the spaces that are offered unique and different. And so at the end of the day, it's really about sort of those personal touches. It's also about, you know, having clear photos and a clear description of here's what my space is. Here's what I can offer. Here's, you know, the great coffee shop down the street that uh, you might want to check out while you're here. You know, guests really appreciate sort of those personalized and thoughtful touches, and and it doesn't take much on on the part of the host to make that happen. Now, you mentioned the tool that you have that will help folks kind of get an idea of the type of income that they could generate from their space, whether it's a whole home, an apartment, maybe just a a spare room that they have available, whatever it might happen to be. um, Where do folks find that and and, uh, what type of information will they need to have in order to uh, get uh, the most out of that? Yeah, exactly. So, Great question. You head over to Airbnb.com slash host. Uh, you know, you tell us a little bit about uh, your space um, and, uh, you know, how big it is, how many bedrooms, where you're located, uh, and we'll guide you from there. And let's say that someone goes, they they look that up, they find that, hey, there is some money to be made. I can uh, perhaps do this. They decide they want to sign up. How long uh, of a process is that? And just kind of give us the basics of, you know, becoming a host, taking us through that process. Yeah, no, it, 
it's a, it's a lot simpler than I think people realize. You know, it really comes down to, you know, providing information about your space, uploading photos so that people have a clear sense of where they're going to be staying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, writing a great description of the space, uh, and then getting that listing out there and live and, and ready for people to stay in. I mean, at the end of the day, what we know is that, uh, you know, when, when folks have clear photos and great descriptions of their property, it's not hard to get booked on the Airbnb platform. Again, Christopher Nolte of Airbnb with us uh, this morning talking about the uh, revenue that you could potentially unlock uh, with your extra space on uh, the Airbnb platform. Again, especially as we were saying, coming into travel season, people are looking to travel again, but are being a little cautious. So this may be right up the alley for a lot of people. Uh, Christopher, we'll have the link up on our webpage. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. This is a postscript on April Fool's Day. Sometimes a good prank is not so good. Um, Sometimes it delivers more than just a a belly laugh. Uh, This is a story of a prank gone wrong that happened to one man in Beijing actually landed him behind bars. Uh, According to uh, news reports, uh, this uh, individual, and the only identification is that is a man by the name of Wu, (laughs) man by the name of Wu in Beijing, simply wanted to pull a prank on a a friend uh, by the name of Zhang. So uh, he decided he was going to fake a blackmail scheme. That just doesn't sound like like a too like too uh, not a very smart thing to do. Um, he wrote a letter demanding that his friend place ninety thousand dollars in a flower bed nearby before noon on April third, and threatened the man's children. <laughs> he also told his coworker not to contact the police, and that's where things went sideways because, of course, Mister Zhang did show the letter to police, and uh, they went after uh, Mr. Wu. He eventually uh, turned himself in, claiming that it was all part of a an elaborate April Fool's Day prank. However, the judge did not see it that way, uh, called uh, his actions, quote, far beyond the scope of practical jokes, unquote. He was fined $1,500 and sent- sentenced to three and a half years in jail. They don't mess around in China. Three and a half years in jail. That is an April Fool's joke gone very, very wrong. Joke turned out to be on him. Wow, that is is crazy. You got to think these things through. You really do. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this from Bell County, Texas where we have stories of intruders that do strange things, that break into people's homes. Uh, Authorities were called to a man's house after he reported hearing noises during the night, and in the morning found a naked woman sleeping on an air mattress in one of his spare bedrooms. (laughs) He reportedly asked a 28-year-old Jovita Vaughn to leave, and she refused to budge. That's when he called police. When the cops arrived, she told them that she had lived in the house until 2009 and felt like she had the right to be there. 
<laughs> wasn't her house anymore, but she had lived there previously, and so she had the right to be there. Uh, police disagreed. They placed her under arrest, and uh, she spat on an officer during the uh, process of being arrested, so she now faces multiple charges, including harassment of a uh, police officer. So, <laughs> take a bad situation and make it even worse. It's another thing that dumb criminals tend to do. This is dumb. I, You know, everybody is, is tired of all of the COVID-19 restrictions and all of that, and I get it. But sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and comply. A guest at Disney World allegedly refused to follow COVID-19 safety protocols, Kelly Sills of uh, somewhere in Louisiana, he was visiting Disney World, reportedly walked past a temperature check-in point near the Disney Springs retail and restaurant area and refused to return to complete the temperature check when confronted by staff. Authorities arrived and took the man in, into custody. Uh, Mr. Sills... Uh, argued that he had paid $15,000 for the trip to the park and therefore he couldn't be arrested. <laughs> it's not exactly how money works. I paid $15,000. You don't have to take my temperature. He also reportedly claimed to be a stockholder in the company and allegedly told officers he was willing to have his temperature checked after he was already being escorted out of the park. That's the... <laughs> It's a little too late to decide you're going to comply then. Uh, Disney said in a statement, Guests have been overwhelmingly supportive of our protocols. Millions of guests visit our theme parks each year. And in rare instances, when things of this nature occur, we hold individuals accountable. I spent $15,000. I shouldn't have to get my temperature. Well, no, I correct that. I wasted $15,000, and that's... Just get your temperature checked, man. Jeez. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is one of those uh, viral internet stories they're shared online. Uh, one TikTok user recently posted several vid- videos de- uh, detailing a bizarre discovery uh, made at her mother's place of business. Uh, this woman, her, her mom, owns a beauty salon, and she had had a dream that there was a hidden door behind a mirror with a secret room where dead bodies were hidden. Well, sure enough, the next day, Miranda, that's the woman's name who posted the video, took the mirror off the wall and lo and behold, discovered a hidden door behind the mirror, just like her mom's dream. After they busted through the, the door... They found another solid wall behind it, though. She does say that the building is connected to a hotel that is supposedly haunted. But uh, she says they probably won't have any answers anytime soon because they found what appears to be an old elevator shaft connected to the wall with a boarded up service window. And they won't be able to cut further without doing major construction. I'm thinking, you know what? Leave well enough alone. Leave well enough. I would stop right there. Quit while you're ahead. I don't want to know anymore. (laughs) Sometimes things get too real. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news. (laughs) Why push it? Uh, Today's uh, broken news report brought to you 
as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at FindlayRotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. Spring has definitely sprung. It is a time when many of us are busy with our lawn and garden maintenance, particularly getting those weed and pest control treatments down. But remember, pollinators can live in and around your lawn too, and protecting them is equally important. So, what are some of the best management practices to use when applying things like pesticides and such? USDA contributor Rod Bain has guidance in today's Everyday Agriculture Report. The first thing that comes to mind when you think of pollinator habitat is a flower bed, a fruit or tree orchard, a corner wheat field, wildflowers along the side of the road, a flowering bush, a lawn of turf grass. There are some turf species that produce seed heads where dispersal or movement, either through air currents or through pollinators, may be impacted by pollinating insects. Yet entomologist Terry Billison of North Carolina State University says a significant finding of pollinators, whether bees, butterflies, or wasps, in a home lawn or golf course is an indicator of the general health or general balance in terms of insect populations within the system. Both in the number of non-pollinator species living within a turf grass ecosystem and the flowering plant species that surround a lawn or golf course, such as a flower bed or native grasses. So with insects and other beneficial species both thriving in the grass along with the pollinators, Billison says best management practices regarding pesticides must be considered. What you want to be mindful of is that you want to adopt management strategies that have the smallest impact not only just on pollinators, but on those other beneficial insect populations as well. She says the general concept will be the same regardless of ecosystem or environment. Yet some best management practices are more feasible and more flexible in a particular lawn or golf course than others. First of all, then an application is absolutely necessary. Very often we see that damage is misdiagnosed and people incorrectly assume an insect is at fault and so they make an insecticide application. Insecticides, they're products designed to kill insects and so misapplication of those is obviously going to be something that we want to avoid right off the bat. If application is needed, remove all flower heads from weeds by hand, herbicide, or mowing turf prior to the application. Also create a two to three inch mulch buffer zone between flowering ornamentals and treated turf grass. Billison says in terms of when and how to apply pesticides, she says, think like a pollinator. They're more likely to be active the months June through August, whenever temperatures are consistently above 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you can avoid making applications then, again, not always feasible, but whenever possible, that's kind of the first step. Other tips to minimize pesticide application include avoiding neonicotinoids around flowering shrubs and trees, avoid application in windy conditions, and if possible, Use a granular application versus sprays, dust, and wettable powders. And then choosing a less toxic insecticide class. The homeowner, if you go to the hardware store, there are certainly some products you can select that are going to be way less toxic to bees than others. 
I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Our Everyday Agriculture series is aimed at demonstrating how ag issues and ag science impact all of us. A prime example there. More details. USDA.gov. Of course, before the pandemic, you may have wondered if it would be possible to live one's life completely in a bubble using technology to substitute for human interaction. What we have learned over the past year is that indeed we can. Maybe we don't want to all the time, but the reality is that some of the things that we have gotten pretty good at over the past year are probably here to stay in one form or another. Award-winning tech reporter Andrea Smith is with us once again to share some of her must-have stuff for optimizing life at home in 2021. And Andrea, for example, the home office... Uh, probably the number one thing that is here to stay either permanently or as a remote workplace a few times a week or a few times a month. What home office tech do you recommend to keep us productive, keep us connected and so on? Sure. Well, you got that right, Chris. I think that uh, we're going to be working from home for a while in some form or fashion. And we've really seen lots of great tech innovations um, come down the pike in this past year. You know, a year ago when lockdown began, parents and schools were scrambling to get students Chromebooks, the laptops that run on Google's Chrome operating system. Well, now a year later, we are seeing some premium Chromebooks coming out aimed at professionals. The Lenovo ThinkPad C13 Yoga has the power and durability of a ThinkPad in a 13.3-inch full HD display and because it's a yoga, it's got that 360-degree hinge that transforms it from laptop to tent mode to tablet. It has a built-in slot for the pen or stylus uh, that you can use to write on it. The device features the latest chip designed just for Chromebooks, so it's really built for reliability and high performance. The other thing we're seeing is you know, people are stepping up their work-from-home productivity by adding a monitor to the setup. I really like Lenovo's G27C10 curved monitor because it does double duty. It's got a 27-inch screen with a full HD display, slim bezels, and you can adjust the angle and height for working. And then with its high refresh rate and that immersive screen, when you're done working, you can kick back. This is a great gaming monitor. So if you're not using it at night, your kids are going to be using it. There you go. Um, You know, you bring up a good point that uh, at our home offices, and again, uh, when all of this started, we weren't really uh, all that concerned with ergonomics. If this is going to be a an ongoing thing, we need to make sure that we are you know, uh, comfortable and healthy and, you know, because uh, that impacts our productivity too. So, uh, again, the ergonomic uh, aspects of that are uh, really important. Uh, speaking of health, telehealth, another innovation that predates the pandemic, but a lot of people just started using it over the past year. Doctors like it because it reduces office overcrowding. Insurance companies like it because it's more cost effective. What is new in home health care devices? Well, you're so right. I mean, telehealth has become really big. Fitness trackers have become, you know, they were popular, but they've become much more prevalent now. Sure. And a lot of people are using devices to take care of their health at home now. Um, And technology has really made that possible. So this spring, allergy sufferers can get fast sinus pain relief with ClearUp, a small handheld device that uses low-level electrical stimulation to relieve that throbbing pain 
spring allergies. The FDA just expanded clear-up uses to include congestion relief from allergies, colds, and the flu. The treatment's non-invasive. It takes just five minutes. The results last up to six hours, relieving your pain and congestion without the use of medication. This is my favorite part of this. Clear-up is reusable and rechargeable, and it will last for years. What else do you have uh, for optimizing life at home uh, in 2021? Anything uh, else? Any other tips and so on? Sure. Well, you know, Chris, I've learned a lot this past year (laughs) setting up my home office. And I have to say the right webcam really makes a difference if you're on video calls all the day. So I really recommend getting an external webcam with HD quality for clearer image and a high frame rate to prevent video stuttering. I also use a really good set of headphones, so everyone on my conference call can't really hear the other calls or the teacher reading to your kid's class. Uh, And, you know, you talk about ergonomics. To help with wrist strain, I've added a full wireless keyboard and mouse to my laptop, and I've added a laptop stand. So not only does it raise my device six inches off the desk, I'm sitting up straighter, I'm able to look more directly at the screen, And I'm not leaning my neck over. I'm not hunched over. So it really, really helps with, you know, sitting up properly and not just beating up your body all day by by working in an improper position. Yeah, all uh, very important stuff. And by the way, you mentioned webcams and headphones. Those were a couple of things that were next to impossible to find when all of this started because everybody was buying them. Uh, They are, like toilet paper, back in stock now, and you can uh, get those. So if you uh, still need one, uh, they are a lot easier to find uh, these days. Again, uh, tech expert uh, Andrea Smith with us, uh, putting the uh, fun in functional, uh, as they say. And where do we get more information? Head over to d6news.com slash at home. Andrea, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And that is our podcast for this morning. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the show today. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We're always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on our social media channels. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share. Sign up for our daily email newsletter. Check it out, goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.